Hey everyone, this is Anna Firminov, and this is Modern Startup Marketing, a show that's shining a light on those startups that are taking their marketing efforts to the next level. And now to this episode. Okay, welcome, Pep Laya. I know I'm saying that right because I practiced it over and over. <laughs> you are CEO of two companies. Winter and CXL. And we'll talk about them. And what I love is that you've essentially, you've been building companies for years. You founded a SaaS startup back in 2009. That was about building and selling online courses. And it didn't work out. We're going to talk about that. But now you're running these two companies Also, you're just a fascinating person. You've got 37,000 followers on Twitter and almost 26,000 followers on LinkedIn. So I'm going to pick your brain on that, right? It's uh, you've definitely built an audience and a community of people that really value the things that you, the opinions you have, the expertise you have. So we will talk about that. And I just want to give a quick background on winter winter is spelled with a y is a messaging optimization platform for b2b companies so essentially if you want to find out like what messaging is working what messaging hits home what falls flat and the customers include drift unilever and go to meeting and then cxl is a skill building platform for marketers that uses the world's top 1% of folks that are really good in marketing (laughs) and they are instructors and your customers there include Google, Cisco, and Hilton. So, and there's uh, also have an agency called Spiro, which is a customer experience optimization agency. Uh, One of the leaders in the experimentation space. We work with uh, meet to large enterprises, helping them scale their experimentation programs. Awesome. And that's based on your experimentation and testing background, really. So That's right. That was the first company that I built that didn't die. <laughs> Initially, it was called CXL Agency that we just uh, spun off into a separate brand. Got it. So you've got this portfolio of companies, which mm-hmm. is really cool. Before we dive in, I want to just let the listeners know. So the short story of how I got Pep on the show is you sent out a tweet. And it was basically this, a podcast booking company is pitching me saying they can get me on two shows a week and nobody else can match their success rate. Let's see about that. And then um, my somebody actually emailed me about this, knowing that I have a podcast and that I'm the host. And so here we are, right? Because I invited you to be on my show. So I'm actually curious before we dive into the, the meat of this podcast, I'm curious how many shows have you booked? Um, and then, like, why did you want to run this test? I know you're a tester at heart, uh-huh. right? Why did you want to run this test to begin with? Like, what's your goal with podcasts? I booked around 30, which was quite a bit. I, in fact, uh, some days I'm like, oh, my God, why did I? Because I'm, I'm, uh, there are some days where I'm doing, like, three a day, which is a lot. You know, just talking, talking, talking. But why am I doing this? It's to raise awareness around winter because... When it comes to you know building a company, the fact that people know that you exist is half the battle. Most companies die because nobody cares and nobody knows they are even around. And winter is still an early stage startup. 
we're customer funded bootstrap still and so i can't buy my way into market share you know i have to do it the organic way that's right that makes a lot of sense okay that's a lot of shows and doing three a day how many have you done today am i the first today (laughs) you are my first yeah not my first meeting, so I've had like two internal meetings and three sales demos. Wow. Uh, I am still in the phase where I do every single sales demo, which yeah, is of so course you're, great you're, learning. Also uh, helps me test different ways to pitch the product. Yeah, and so I think what's helpful though, you've already spent years building your audiences, right? So mm-hmm. that that awareness that do you talk about your companies a bunch, like on LinkedIn and on Twitter? To, yeah, to get yeah, yeah. I mean, not, okay. not in, the, in the way that, hey, uh, come buy my stuff because nobody wants to hear about that. But I, I share lessons learned, you know, things that I'm doing um, that are might be interesting, you know, like how I uh, rebranded and repositioned Winter because we launched as a separate brand called Copy Testing and had a different kind of an angle. So we changed that. So I've been sharing those lessons and also things that we've changed with CXL uh, over the years. So definitely nice. trying to do... I guess they call it product-led storytelling. That's a good term for it. Yeah. So more more of like educational, some interesting, something that's more enticing and helpful for your listeners versus selling. Exactly. Yeah. Always trying to you know make it interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Well, let's dive into the questions. So you were building your the SaaS startup right for two years, probably mm-hmm. learned a ton. What were your big learnings about that startup? Because it didn't work out, right? And so yeah. what, is, what have you learned that has helped you succeed with Winter and CXL and Spiro? So that company was called Trandom. And when we shut it down, which of course hurt because, you know, we had poured our, you know, sweat and tears and life into it for two years. And it always hurts to kill your baby. And then when we did the retro, like, okay, key reasons for not succeeding were one, we didn't have an audience to sell to. B, didn't have money to buy an audience. And, uh, and also, like, I, I as the um, you know, founder and head of marketing, didn't have any name recognition. And so out of that, I told myself that for my next company, I'm going to build an audience first, not product first, but audience first, and then see what they want to buy and then build that. And so I started CXL as Conversion Excel, as a blog. And for the first year, I was just blogging and building an audience, people interested in conversion optimization, and then built an agency because they wanted to hire me as a consultant, and off I went. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so that's some pretty key big lessons. How big did the startup get? It was you, and did you have some other folks helping you? I had like a co-founder team, which was like a, a development company. So I partnered with the dev company to do all the, the software development work. So they were like a 49% partner. I was 51. So I pitched them the idea and then they bought the idea. Got it. So really, essentially, like a big lesson for you was, yes, you should build the product. But what's even more essential is like getting to your audience and understanding what their needs are and driving awareness and building that community, and that's even as important, right? Yeah, well, if you're, if you're bootstrapping and, you know, you, you can't buy awareness by, you know, doing a lot of paid data acquisition, then uh, 
You just need an audience, organic audience, and building that audience takes time. It's noisy out there. Or you need to be very patient. You know, I ran out of patience and shut it down because it's a, it's a difficult choice whether, like, maybe year three will be different. But it was kind of a you know, zombie state. I mean, it wasn't exactly dead. We had paying customers. But it wasn't exactly alive either. I mean, it, it didn't make enough money to pay the bills. So what made you decide to shut it down? Like, what was that day that you're like, you know what, we have to just stop and move on? Essentially, I ran out of ideas what to do to drive results. Like everything I had thought of, I had tried. And so like we could stick with it, but really I had no idea what to do. So that was kind of it. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. So let's take a little bit of a turn here. And like, you've got a lot of expertise and thoughts and opinions on content marketing. You put content out there on social media. What do you think about like content marketing? How has it changed over the years? Like what exactly has changed since I'll pick a year, right? 2010 versus today. What, what do you think are the key things we need to understand and marketers need to stop doing or start doing? I think the fundamentals are the same as content in B2B, especially because that's most of my background is B2B. In B2B, content marketing is just so powerful and it works. I mean, I built my companies on top of content marketing, so I know firsthand that it works. It works. What has changed mainly is competition. Also, of course, new medium like TikTok wasn't around and, and so on and so forth, or Instagram. But competition. So there have never been as many brands as there are today. There have never been as many individual creators as there are today. Because back then, in 2010, money was less readily available, like funding for startups. Uh, today, there's more capital, cheap money than ever before. Technological barriers that were there in 2010 have completely gone. Now it's so easy to come and put up your own company. It's cheap and afford. Technological barriers are basically gone. Also, not just in tech, but also in like manufacturing. Like you can outsource everything to Alibaba, and they do. Like a lot of these D2C success case studies, like Warby Parker or Dollar Shave Club. These are all. None of them have their own factories. You know, it's all outsourced. So. What has this has done, obviously, is that in the last 10 years, the competition has intensified 100 times. The regular competition, but also in terms of content. You know, people writing blog posts or doing like LinkedIn or TikToks, you know, whatever. So what does that mean? That means that what used to be a good enough effort that actually was good enough to get results is not good enough anymore. The standard for the minimum quality for your content is just way higher. You need to be more consistent, so you need to produce a higher volume of content. So I think I saw this recent study where they looked at the um, YouTube channels that had at least a million followers, and on average, how many videos did they have? And it was something like 3,500 videos. So like, if you produce a video a day, how many years is that? You know, So it just gives you an idea of the consistency and volume of content you need to be putting out. And then obviously quality. We have limited attention spans in the sense that uh, we can't pay attention to every, everything and higher quality content will just stand out. So if you do mediocre content, it kind of doesn't do anything. 
Yeah, so we're we're kind of under this pressure to put more content out and it needs to be high quality. How do you start thinking about solving for that? How have you been doing that? And maybe that gets into some of the later questions, like how do you actually do this for winter for CXL? Yeah, absolutely. So well, with CXL, CXL is a more mature company now that we have a content team that is, you know, uh, publishing content, obviously. We have very strict internal standards for what's publishing worthy content. You know, so we don't publish just anything. It needs to match a certain quality criteria. And then, I mean, we get our our, uh, nice, decent share of guest posts as well that we can publish because we are domain authority, some 85, you know, so it's very attractive backlink. We have a big audience, you know, 300,000 a month. So people want to get in front of our audience. So that's easier. So my own personal social media, what I have is I have content on my daily calendar. So first thing when I do, when I start my day, is I start with content. This is also my personal experimentation shows that if you post content on U.S. Central Time, so like 6, 7 a.m. my time, it gets the best reach. If I do it like at 11 a.m., it will be half of it. I don't know why, but it's, there's something to it. With these algorithms, they need a, min- a certain amount of engagement signals, comments and likes and whatever, so they would amplify the distribution of this content, like give it more reach. So if early morning you get enough people to signal something, then uh, LinkedIn will or Twitter will put it in front of more people. So that's one thing. So putting it on your calendar, doing it first in the morning, obviously it's different for Europeans or, or Pacific or whatever. And for winter, you know, I can't... Blogging, I didn't choose the strategy because winter domain authority is some 35. I, I won't rank for anything, you know, with that. So SEO is not an immediate strategy. Yeah, long-term, yes. So we are producing content. But I am completely aware that this content will not do anything business-wise today. It's a long-term play. So immediate, But I, I need to capture leads today as well. So what do I do? I started a virtual monthly event. I call it Winter Games. So every month we put up a mini conference, if you will, eight speakers. Eight speakers, the event is free. So I have something to shout out to the world. I have something to you know, promote. And of course, I try to make sure that the topics are you know, as interesting as possible. And then obviously every talk is recorded. That content is repurposed also into blog posts and social media clips, things like that. That's great. It's in April, right? Or am I wrong? The next uh, winter the next games. Event? Yeah. So it's every single month. So the oh, next month. one is March 31st, and then we'll have an April event and a May event. So and the amount of signups I get per event is growing over month. So last one I had was like more than 1,600 people. So that's great. Wow. That's okay. awesome. That's awesome. And who are the speakers coming up March 31st? So March event is, uh, our focus is on storytelling. So we have uh, Joe Lazowskas, uh, the author of Storytelling Edge. He runs marketing for Contently. Uh, I have Kevin Rogers, who's an extraordinary storyteller. I follow him on, I'm friends with him on Facebook. The guy knows how to tell a story. My God. Ah, so, so, yeah, so Winter Games, just Google it. You'll see the full lineup. 
Well, storytelling is like the big, that's the biggest, one of the bigger things to focus on and to improve that, that skill, right, as a marketer. so Exactly. So what, like what I said earlier about there have never been as many brands as today. So there's, the competition is nuts, right? So three things are happening. If you position your company through what you do, we do email marketing or we do SEO, you're a commodity. Every category that gets more mature, like a lot of players in it, it gets commoditized. So there are the premium players and then there are commodity players. And commodity players say exactly the same things as the category leaders. So if Upspot does you know, CRM and I'm an upstart, a challenger brand, I say, I'm also a CRM. You're going to lose. You're going to die. You know, you're never going to go anywhere if you use the exact same messaging as Upspot, as the category leader. Uh, so the way to compete with category leaders is twofold. So either through innovation, you find a way to do something better, objectively better, faster, cheaper, whatever it is, you know. But very few can play this game, like especially in like SaaS. It's rare that a tool comes out that is like, oh my God, this is just objectively better. I think Descript came out, which is the podcast editing tool. You might know of it, like change the game. Like it's just so much better than anything else out there, you know, or, you know, Tesla has, you know, better range than other electric cars for now. But so most of us are not innovators. So what's, what, what can we compete on? Brand. And a huge part of that is your messaging and storytelling. And you want to go against the grain. You want to go against the category leader. So if HubSpot is this, I am not that. I am the anti that. In fact, what HubSpot is doing is bullshit and you should do it the other way. You know, you tell a story. You repel an audience in order to attract another audience, things like that. So learning how to do that is essential, I think, for the next five to 10 years and and maybe forever. I love it. And I'm going to put that on my calendar. It's a free event. So I'm in. (laughs) Thanks for talking through that. I love that. That is definitely um, video clip worthy. And there's so much passion because there's conviction, right? Like, you know that this is the way to go. This is the way you can't just do things the way of the old days, right? Because there's so much competition and we all feel it. And I agree with you, like brand storytelling, you got to be good and you have to understand how are other folks talking about themselves and you need to be different and you need to be clear and you need to be consistent about this across different channels that you're using. So this is not easy stuff, right? No, No, and also like I've been on a, I'm telling stories myself and I'm trying to learn from the best. And uh, recently I've been binging on storytelling books and I'm actually appalled by how few of them are practical in, in for business storytelling. They all tell you about, oh, the arc of the story and the characters and the hero's journey and all that stuff. But like, okay, great. How do I now implement it on my website? Crackets. There's no advice on that. So I'm going to fill that gap. I'm going to, I'm going to help marketers compete with a better story. So that's, because winter is also in this business because it's ridiculous that you don't have any data on how your messaging is working, how your story is working, what do they like about your story or not. The only thing you as a marketer can measure, did they sign up or not? Did they buy or not? So imagine this is an offline situation. I'm selling to you. This is a sales pitch. But I cannot see how you react to my sales pitch. Like I'm pitching you. You might be rolling your eyes, but I don't know. I only see if you sign or not. In real life, this is unthinkable. It's ridiculous. You know, this is like a stuff like a comedy scene. But this is exactly how sales is happening online. So Winter is, you know, giving you the data on the like, what about your story is actually good and what, what you should, you know, get rid of. 
Yeah, I think that um, a lot of companies approach it in the way of like internally, this is how we want to talk about ourselves. This is our story. This is what we think will resonate. And they don't know, right? Because they are not. That's where you start. Like, what are we about getting clear on your identity and, you know, what do you stand for? That's amazing. And then, but does it resonate? But does it resonate with the audience? And like, there's probably aspects of your story that are really like people nod their heads. Yes, yes, I want that. And then there's other other stuff that is maybe cheesy or unclear or, you know, something that you should just cut. Yeah. What's the difference with just asking, right? Let's say you bring, a, you just ask a bunch of your customers, like, does this resonate? Does this messaging make sense or, or prospects, right? You can always um, just ask well, them. I mean, essentially, that's what you should do. But it's, it's very hard because, I mean, it's hard. It's just hard to get any, any responses, you know, like if you if you have, even if you have a popular email newsletter, like what's your click-through rate or what's your response rate to those emails? I mean, it's very low. I mean, we're talking single digits uh, percentage points here. So people are busy. They don't want to give you feedback. Or if, you, if you're doing sales, like you're pitching prospects, I mean, it's hard enough to get a prospect to even like engage with you, not to mention them giving you feedback of like what resonated. It's just a hard problem. Uh, and obviously that's, again, the business that I'm in solving that problem. That's right. So I'm interested to ask you, like, you, you've you got customers for winter. Has there been an, uh, an event where, like, they went in there thinking this is the right messaging to use, and then it came back where the, they tested it, and it's like, no, that's actually not the right one. Oh, this, yeah. It's completely okay. different. Totally, totally. So there's a, as a venture fund using us for their early stage startups, you know, and early stage startups are always thinking about what should be our value proposition or how to position ourselves because, you know, you can go many directions. And so there's this one company called True North, an early stage success company that they did multiple rounds of message testing with Winter where they were like, you know, this way or this way or this way. And they completely changed their positioning and based off of this feedback. And by that, they were able to increase their pricing 10 times because they found something that is far more valuable than they were initially saying, you know? And that, I mean, price increase of 10 times, it's nuts. It's ridiculous. And then they changed their whole product roadmap also off the back of this feedback. That's just a big change. A lot of of, uh, examples that I see on a daily basis is uh, companies leading with a headline and you know how important headlines are. It just capture attention, peak your interest is what the headline should do. And if right off the bat, it does not resonate, it's just, uh, I mean, sales is hard, hard enough as it is. You're just making, creating so many, so much unnecessary friction in the sales process. Yeah, that's right. Well, thank you for explaining that and also like how your tool helps with that. I want to ask you, who do you think is doing some innovative things with their content? Just going back to content and who's doing it well, like what are some examples you've seen of of companies or people doing really cool things with content? Yeah, um, I think uh, companies that are doing different things with content is uh, is who wins. So for instance, uh, Harry Dry and marketingexamples.com. You know, he came out of the woodworks in 2019 and now has a massive following in built in like a year and a half. And what is he doing? He's doing, uh, he's using a different format than anybody else. Everybody else is writing this blog post like it's still 2007. 
And unless it's somehow ridiculously good or you're HubSpot, so you can rank with anything, it's not a good strategy. So you, you should create content that's the unique format. And so a marketing examples is an example of that. Another example is growth.design. So again, this guy who came out of nowhere, they're doing this, um, basically this teardowns, completely different way of presenting content, completely unique angle. And then what's also interesting about both Harry and this, this growth.design guys is that there's a higher degree of barrier of entry to producing that level of content. Not any guy you hire from Upwork, anybody you hire from Upwork can write a blog post, a shitty blog post, a mediocre you know, piece of crap. But the stuff that they're doing, not everybody is able to do that. It requires more time, more investment, more thinking, all these things, which are moats. So the way I think about producing content is that the harder it is to create what you're doing, the stronger your moat, because it's harder to replicate what you're doing. That's what we also see with some of the more popular, you know, let's say creators, you know, substacks like WebSmith, what he's doing with his uh, uh, e-commerce newsletter, the depth and the detail and all that stuff, you know, uh, it's hard to replicate, you know. So the quality or a different format. Yeah, and this goes back to what you already said, like the like more content that's just good enough is not good enough. So you exactly. need something that stands out, that's high quality. I think it's like all in or nothing. So it, there's save your money, don't do mediocre content because the impact is zero. So if you have mediocre people writing mediocre content, put that money elsewhere, put that in Google Ads or, or just do something and make a better product. Or if you want to do content marketing, it's like be truly different. Do something else or just be better. And of course, consistency is is killer. That reminds me of something I saw somebody posted in like a um, Slack group that I'm in. And they're like, we're looking for someone to do some light social media upkeep. And I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm staying away from that because that means that they're not using marketing and content as like the differentiator, which you need. That's what your marketing team should be is thinking about what's going to be different, what's going to be quality and make that part of your business strategy. And there's no such thing as like light upkeep of your social media anymore, because now social media is like your one of your channels that needs to be driving revenue. If you're a B2B company, you have your corporate handles, you know, your corporate LinkedIn page or your Twitter for those, light upkeep might be okay because nobody wants to follow those anyway. So that's <laughs> that's your news rule, you know, like, oh, we just released this new update and we have this the following software improvements, you know. that. So that's fine because, like, increasingly it, it is about the personal brands associated with the corporate brand. It's, again, it's different for B2C, you know. It's in B2B, you know, you, you see... Uh, some companies executing really well on uh, names behind the companies, just putting themselves out there. Yeah, I was also going to mention another example I just thought of. Somebody that just entered this uh, the B2B like SaaS space, and he is um, his name is Shiv, and he has a company called How to SaaS, and wow. he puts out like these drawings. He essentially makes these bite-sized drawings that show you the problems with B2B marketing or the problems with B2B growth, like the uh-huh. way we should think about strategy, the way we should think about marketing and content, just these simple drawings, which, you know, it's kind of like Harry Dree. 
um, dry that's doing like the marketing examples, these simple sort of like, I took this scenario and I changed it and here's an image of it. But if I showed it to my seven-year-old daughter, she'd look at the picture and be like, oh, that's so, there's like three colors and (laughs) she might not understand it, but she, you know, can sort of see see what's happening there. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Cool. So let's talk about differentiation a little bit. I'd love to ask you, like, what recommendations do you have for startups on how to differentiate when sameness is the default? Like you've mentioned this in some of your video clips, like sameness is the default. What's the Uh strategy that startups should use? Yeah, I mean, if differentiation was easy, it would be solved already. It's hard, which is, of course, why it's a great opportunity, because most will not be able to solve it. Most are not ready to put in the work. So broadly speaking, as I mentioned earlier, I think there are two ways that you can think about it. So one is you differentiate through innovation. Your product is just, you're doing something different that nobody else is doing. And that's a harder route to go. It might be better. If you can do it better, objectively better, go for it. You know, that's, I think that's the easier route. But of course, innovation is hard. So I don't know if it is the easier route. But if you, if you can compete on innovation, do it. The other way for, I think, which is for the 90%, is you compete on brand. You compete on brand. Brand is your moat. And for brand, then that starts with your, your point of view. And so what is a brand? So the brand is, is what other people say about you. It's like, what does it say about me if I buy you? You know, if I buy Patagonia, that they'll, that says that I care about sustainability, I care about nature, I don't like Trump, things like that, yeah? Whereas functionally, Patagonia is probably the same as like Columbia Outdoor, a lot, a lot of brands, very competitive competitive category, right? There are like Follier, Fial Raven and whatever these other brands. I don't actually know what they're about. I mean, I'm not also too familiar with this category, so I'm unable to comment, but you want to stand for something. And obviously, you want to analyze the, the category that you're in and you understand, especially, what are the category leaders saying? So if you're against Patagonia, you cannot go in. And, well, we're also sustainable. We also care about the environment. Well, that's great. Good for you. But that's not how you can differentiate because I, Patagonia is already doing it. They own the positioning in the mind of the customer. So positioning is not tangible, right? Positioning happens inside the mind of the customer. So if a Patagonia is already sustainable, you need something else going for you. Yeah, yeah. It's the share of mind. And like if that's taken up by somebody else, then you're just going to get confused and also just um, buried, right, in the, the rest yeah. of the noise. And, so. and you don't want to be about multiple ideas. A brand standing for multiple ideas at once is weak, I mean, it's very difficult to pull off. In fact, I don't really know, you know if a brand has successfully pulled it off. It probably exists. But like if we think about, you know, let's say, you know, like big brands we all know, like Nike is like, you know, championing athleticism. But there, is, there are other, other ideas in there where they are also championing women's rights and, you know, things like that, like the social justice aspect. But of course, Nike is so old and so much money, they can do more things. As a smaller brand, limited resources, you want to be about, you want to have a single message. And so I really love what Andy Raskin is talking about, the idea of a strategic narrative for differentiation. 
So basically, you're changing the way you think about the product. And so you don't compare, you don't position yourself against the competition. It says that we do it 10% faster or cheaper or, you know, get 10% more leads because that's like an improvement offer, which is nice, but it's, you know, not many people will care about it. A much more attractive way to sell your company or to market your company is through this lens of a strategic narrative, which is what change is happening in the world that should change what you are doing. So right now you're using a strategy. Let's say, let's, let's take this content marketing example. So right now your strategy is to write these long form blog posts and, you know, and you get as many backlinks as possible. And then uh, the world has changed, you know, since 2010, there's now so many new blogs and then the, like the barrier of entry has gone up this much. And then the, the old, the old, the old, uh, old companies are, um, uh, they have uh, so much um, uh, Con- content. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's not possible for you to to out outrank HubSpot. You know, it's it's just not a thing you can do. And so, so instead, so the old strategy is not working anymore. The world has changed. So in this new world, there are these, all these other things that are happening, and the way to compete is now through doing, let's say, different different types of content. And now you can bring start talking about your product, where how these features that you have, you position them through this context that in this new world you need these new features to compete. You know, this is exactly what, for instance, classic example is Drift did. So instead of being another live chat tool, which was already a you know pretty mature category, they changed the, the narrative and saying the world has changed and you know everybody every, everything is instant messaging, right? We're sending text messages. Well, stuff happens in you know Facebook Messenger, and we are still selling through forms like it's 1997. The way people want to communicate is radically changed, and so fuck forms. You know, and you need chatbots, you know, so it's like live chat. So selling the same thing, but you set the context of how the world has changed. You need a new strategy to adapt. So that's that's essentially that's differentiating through brand. That's a really good example. I had Drift on the podcast, so (laughs) I'm glad you brought him up. And I also follow Andy Raskin. I think he has some really great expertise around strategic narrative. And that's a big thing that I also, as I meet with startups and, and start working with them, and I ask them, like, what do you think are your benefits to the user? And what comes up? nine times out of 10 is we're cheaper. <laughs> we're oh, cheaper God, than, yeah. so cheaper, <laughs> and I like, I, mean, I almost want them to delete that off of their slides, off of their material. Like don't focus so much on that. That doesn't matter to like cheaper is not what you want to. Yes. Okay. That's fine. Oh, but that's, cheaper, but that you, you don't want that to be the only thing going for you. Right. If you're a challenger brand, it's okay to be cheaper than the market leader. You know, like if I'm a new CRM, sure. It has to be cheaper than HubSpot. You know, that's fine. However, unless you have some sort of a magical structural advantage of how you can deliver it so much cheaper, uh, it's not a sustainable competitive approach. If other people are able to do it as cheaply as you, it's suicidal. 
probably people are able to do it as cheap as you. Unless, again, you have some radical innovation. And radical innovation, like uh, there's an example that comes to mind from the Blue Ocean book is the barefoot wines, you know, these Australian wines, cheap wines that you don't see in every supermarket. So they're offering, you know, a comparable quality wines that are like 15 bucks a bottle. They're selling it for like six bucks a bottle. And how are they able to do it so cheaply is that they just took out one process, which is the aging process from winemaking, which saved us some, saved them a ton of money. And so they're able to now sell the wine for cheaper. So that's a structural advantage. You, they're actually able to offer it cheaper because their manufacturing is cheaper. Unless you have that sort of a structural advantage, all your people are from Bangladesh, or, or I don't know, keep them trapped in a basement. Unless you're, like, you're an evil capitalist using child labor, like what is your structural advantage really? That's a great example, and I did not know that. Um, I always wondered, like, what is it about this wine that makes it so cheap? So thanks oh, yeah. for sharing that. So I want to ask you then, how do you keep your marketing fresh? Like, how do you stay creative? We've talked a lot about how you you clearly have some structure in what you do in your day-to-day. Like in the mornings, you're thinking about content. What am I putting out there? And then you're thinking about your businesses and strategy and very structured. But how do you yeah. stay creative? Well, you need to be constantly stimulating your brain. So some people are original thinkers, especially like people who are artists. My wife is an artist, so I have a window into how the artist mind works and it's very different from mine so i'm a synthesizer meaning that idea here 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 my own experience i read a book i listen to a podcast and poof i have this new insight you know i synthesize whereas my wife and her artist friends they just have original fucking ideas you know which is magical um and so you can choose which one you are or you have to know which one you are and um I don't know much about the artist way, but I think it's the creativity. There are some really great books about it by uh, Scott Birkin is an author that's uh, written some really good stuff on it. Basically, it's about doing it. So every if you're producing content every day, you get more creative. If you're just thinking about content but never shipping, you're not getting any more creative, you know? So just doing it is key to getting better at it and more creative and, and so on and so forth. And two is like you keep an eye out on what other people are doing. Because also, like, if everybody's uh, zigging, like, you want to zag, you know, and you don't want to be the the me too, unless, again, you have a completely new idea somehow, but that's already creative. Yeah, it's it's something that uh, I think about, right? Like, I want to know what people are doing, but I also want to just, like, do my own thing. So I don't really check on what everyone else is doing. I just kind of, like, kind of know about it and but keep my thoughts on like in my own lane, if that makes sense. Right. Because if you're, it's kind of the same thing with your business. If you're constantly looking at what is the competition doing? Oh, they changed their website. Oh, we need to change our website too. Right. Right. That puts you yeah, in like yeah, yeah. a bad cycle. That's a quick path to sameness. We're like, Oh, they did this. We also need this. They did right. that. Then we also need that. And so, and maybe you sometimes do, if you're, you know, obviously clearly worse, <laughs> then you need to catch up, you know? So it's, it's good to benchmark in the sense, for instance, uh, well, like what happens with um, like how video quality has, you know, increased over the years. So if you're still on a like one pixel uh, webcam, one megabyte, megapixel, sorry, webcam, your video quality would be so much worse than like you just need to up your game, you know, to be have feature parity, so to speak. 
we can talk all day about that, how I need to probably, as a podcast host, up my game with a camera and with a microphone. But I also differentiate myself in that way, right? Because I am a podcast for startups, talking about startups with startups. So... Uh, yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll let that story ride. <laughs> yeah, if your brand is is all about scrappy and you know getting it done with whatever is at hand, and that just fits your brand, you know. Right. If right. your brand podcast brand is you know like I'm the premium content about this thing, then you also need to look the part. Absolutely. Yeah. Great points. What are some bad recommendations that you have heard about in related to marketing, related to content? What are some bad recommendations out there? Okay, so not a bad one, but limited. So everybody says do user research. You know, like interview your customers, understand their customers better than uh, others. Okay, that's and it's great advice. However, an unwanted, undesirable second order consequence is that all the feedback the customers are giving you is category level feedback. So that means that all your competitors, they're also doing user research. They're getting the exact same insight. So you're both, you're all of you are solving for the exact same problem. And the end result is that you're going to be exactly the same. You know, add here competitive benchmarking and, you know, you have like guaranteed sameness. So there's this great book that I also recommend people check out. It's called Stop Listening to Your Customer and Start Hearing Your Brand, which basically talks about that very phenomenal. And so before you do all that user research, which you should do, have a strong idea of what you're about. That brand thing that we talked about earlier, have a strong inner sense. What are we willing to do or not to? So if, if I am Ryanair, I am low cost all the way. And if people are giving me feedback, there's not enough leg room, I ignore that shit. It doesn't matter. I am in the business of cheap. You know, I'm not, oh, well, let's actually increase our prices so we could put, you know, more legroom. No. Or IKEA, you know, what is IKEA? People are saying, ah, I don't want to assemble my furniture. Like it, it's not, you know, very high quality. It's just, you know, a bunch of, uh, you know, plywood. Yeah, but IKEA knows what the business it's in. So they're not in the business of building furniture that lasts forever. They're not in the business of expensive, high quality furniture. They're in the business of cheap, affordable furniture that looks good. You know, so you, you need to understand the business you're in and then you do the user research so you can ignore half the feedback because that's like whatever. Yep. I feel like you become really good at your craft when you know what to ignore, because I think it's easier to say yes than it is yeah. to say no and to take away the stuff that's just not needed, not necessary, will take up more time, will take up more of your Trello board, Trello cards of like to do's, right? That is yeah. the skill. Is or like it? which audiences you serve and, you know, and all this stuff. Like it's tempting to try to serve everybody because like, uh, you know, more money. But like if you chase every dollar, you're just going to spread yourself too thin and nobody will care. That's right. Absolutely. Okay. I definitely wanted to ask you because you have such huge followings on LinkedIn and on Twitter. What are your top tips for posting content on LinkedIn? And then we'll switch because that's probably different tips than it is for Twitter. And I'd love to oh, hear. Actually, I think it's the, pretty much the same. Okay. The only difference between Twitter and LinkedIn, as I see it, is the posting frequency. So 
on LinkedIn, every time you post, make a new post, LinkedIn will reduce the distribution of your previous post. So you're cannibalizing your own content. So you don't want to be posting more than once a day. I'm only posting once a day. Uh, some people even do every other day, you know, and say that's even better. Whereas in LinkedIn, sorry, on Twitter, you can do a tweet a minute. You know, like it doesn't harm the distribution of your other tweets. That's the key difference between these two channels. Uh, similarities between the two channels is that, you know, you can't use links because that will instantly kill your distribution. If you use video, use the native video, not YouTube links because they, they, they don't want people to leave their platform. And share stories. People really like stories and, and not like... Well, I mean, I also see people having success telling other people's stories, you know, how uh, Bill was a, a young student and then did, he did this and then he built Microsoft and became really rich, you know. Okay, that uh, that's also fun, you know, and some people do that successfully. But uh, even better is, is, I think, your own stories. So you've been around, I mean, unless you're spring chicken, in which case, sure, tell us about Bill Gates. But if you've been around, tell your own stories. And what I mean by stories is that just think about what you have learned over the years. So my last 12 months, okay, what have, were the five things I have learned over the last course of the year, you know? Or in my last five years of doing SEL, here are my top 10 things. If I were to hire a brand new person doing what I do, what would be the advice that I would pass on? So this kind of like stories, and then you speak from experience, it does really, really well. So like... Talk to your younger self, essentially, you know. So that and praising your opinions. So that's really what we're dealing with, your personal observations strongly. And I don't mean polarization where you say stupid shit just to get people riled up and polarize on purpose. But if you believe something, you emphasize to make a point and you err on the side of making generalizations. Everybody knows that there are like generalizations that don't apply to every use case. But if you phrase it, and it's like, well, sometimes in these circumstances, and then, you know, like I've seen sometimes it happens when, uh, you know, like you soften what you're saying. It will become so weak that people don't really care. But if you have a strong thing, like this is fucked up. <laughs> you know, like if you, if, and then you say what is fucked up. People will really resonate with it. They, you put emotion into what you're saying. That does something magical. And yes, you will have people come out of the woodworks and say, no, it's wrong. And also, like, in this circumstance, it doesn't apply. And, and you know, I actually like what you hate. And, you know, that's fine. Actually, it's good. Because they're feeding the algorithm and you get more reach for your post. Uh, so you need to be, you, know, you need to have a tough skin. You need to be uh, tough skin in the sense that people would disagree with you and it's uncomfortable. People disagree with you. So just have to ignore it. I mean, think about Hollywood stars, like most beloved people, like Brad Pitt, the kind of shit he takes every day. Anything that Elon Musk is tweeting, the God among men, you know, as many fanboys as he has, every tweet he's getting taken down, like people are ripping into him. So how, how is it? He's, he is controversial, has strong opinions, and you know. So it just comes with the territory. If you want to play the in the big leagues, you know, like you need to be have strong opinions and be okay with being uh, disagreed with. 
I encourage that. I like want more of that disagreement to come up because I learn from that too. It's a good thing. You see what other people, what people have different experiences. You learn from everybody's experience and it's like a good thing to get people kind of riled up about something and then have a yeah. what I What I would uh, advise against is go getting into the arguments in comments or like tweets. It just goes nowhere, leaves everybody feeling drained. And everybody has this massive need to be right. You know, like, oh my God, somebody's wrong on the internet, All right? So resist that urge. If somebody says something you don't agree with, yeah, I love that. Well, thank you. Thanks so much for this advice. And you're definitely the, I love your personality. It really came out in this episode. I think it's the most swear words in, in any of my episodes. That's a great differentiator, Pep, for sure. So you can reach Pep on LinkedIn. He's at Pep Laya. And on Twitter, you can find him at Pep Laya, and then you can find out more about Winter going to winter.com. You can also find out more about CXL by going to cxl.com. And is Spiro Spiro.com? Correct. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time today. We covered a lot of fun, interesting topics, and I appreciate everything that you bring to the game, to the industry. Thank you, Anna. Thanks for listening to this episode of Modern Startup Marketing. New episodes are dropping regularly, so make sure you're following wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find me on LinkedIn, Anna Fermanov, or visit my website, fermanovmarketing.com.